humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It is me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. Happy 2021. It's a brand new year. A fresh start for the year for America as well, we hope, and even for me. And lastly, it's a fresh start for this show, now in this new time slot. And because of that, if you've not heard of me, and if you're a regular AM950 listener, and I hope you are, but have no idea of who moi is, Ellie Krug, um, because I've not been airing on Saturdays, let's just get a couple of things straight very quickly. First, I am transgender. <clears throat> that explains why my voice <laughs> uh, doesn't match my name or appearance. I transitioned from male to female more than a decade ago. Enough about that. Secondly, I am an idealist. I like to say that I'm a practical idealist, not someone who's unrealistic, pie in the sky about the world. I'm just totally oriented, oriented towards trying to change the world for the better. And to do that, I have this show. But I also do other things. I write for Labrador Magazine and Minnesota's Women's Press. Um, and But most of all, I speak and train on human inclusivity across the country. So unlike many of the well-respected hosts and shows on this station, who um, whom I respect and adore greatly, I am a unifier. I don't rail against conservatives, at least not most of the time. And instead, I talk about idealism and idealists, people um, – who are trying to make the world a better place. So just like what you'll hear in a second, I highlight someone every month, every week I try and do this, highlight someone in some organization, either historically or present day, uh, worked, worked or continues to work to change the world. The show also has a middle segment, which I call the big interview, where I endeavor to have an actual idealist who I interview. Today we have Dr. Keith Mays from the University of Minnesota who will talk about um, historical uh, structural racism in the Twin Cities. And then at the end of every show, I have what I call my C-block. I talk about my work as an idealist and about how the world has interacted with me, uh, a lot of times me as a transgender person. So, woo. Sorry for that little bit of a long intro, but it's necessary because I'm in a new time slot right now, and I just don't want you wondering, what is this new show about or this new radio host named Ellie Krug, who sounds like a dude? So, shall we begin? Our featured idealist this week is a man named Mark Horvath and an organization he founded in 2008 named Invisible People. I discovered this organization, Invisible People, over the holidays when I watched a video of a man experiencing homelessness. He was being interviewed um, and interviewed about what it meant to be homeless, how he got homeless. Um, and I thought as I watched that interview, I thought, wow, I am hearing from someone who ordinarily and totally lacks a voice, someone I would not ordinarily or usually hear from. So for 16 years, Mark Horvath had worked as a television in California, in the L.A. area. And then he had some financial problems which caused him to lose his house and for a time period to be homeless. Slowly, uh, he didn't lose his job though. Slowly he rebuilt his credit and bought another house 
only to again lose that house a couple years later when he did lose his job. Faced with homelessness now for the second time, Horvath decided he'd do what he knew best, storytelling and helping others tell their stories. So um, in 2007, 2008, armed with a camera and a bag full of new socks, he went to a place where people like him, people experiencing homelessness, were living. In addition to know how to use a camera and, and to edit, Horvath also knew how to use social media. So he quickly created a following around his work, that is, his work of giving people experiencing homelessness voices. And soon his work um, attracted big names and big companies. So soon he had companies like Haynes, the sock and underwear manufacturer, Virgin Mobile, Mobile, the mobile phone folks, and Ford Motor Company as sponsors, as people helping with his work. A year after Horvath started doing those interviews of people experiencing homelessness, he and his supporters created Invisible People, a nonprofit aimed at changing the lives of people struggling with homelessness. On YouTube, they have their own channel, InvisiblePeople.tv, which shares interviews of people experiencing homelessness. You um, need to go there to just Google Invisible People, and you will find hundreds of videos of people experiencing homelessness. And if you go to the website, Google Invisible People, you will see a disclaimer that reads, quote, caution, exclamation mark. Some content may be offensive. Our hope is you'll get mad enough to do something, unquote. On the Invisible People's website, there's a claim that its video interviews have reached a billion people across the earth. The videos and outreach efforts of invisible people certainly work, by the way. They've spawned housing programs for the homeless. Within hours of one video going live, 50 kids experiencing homelessness receive brand new shoes. In another instance, a farmer donated 40 acres of his land so that a homeless program could um, incorporate self-sustaining farming assets. The key to Horvath's approach and why Invisible People works is the power of storytelling. We are, by the way, a society of storytellers and story listeners. I have a saying that everyone has a story. Not everyone can tell a story, okay? But everyone has a story. And truly, storytelling and story listening, that is how we as humans learn best. The Invisible People interviews draw us in. Many of us who have never experienced homelessness wonder, how can it be that you, quote, unquote, allow yourself to become homeless? No one, by the way, allows themselves to become homeless. They just simply become homeless. And these stories of People experiencing homelessness really are truly stories about surviving the human condition with lessons about grit, resiliency, and hope. You heard my big sigh there because the human condition can be so overwhelming for so many of us, maybe even for some of you right now listening, you are struggling 
with surviving the human condition. Lastly, Horvath, Mark Horvath, the founder of Invisible People, came up with the idea of ending each interview by asking each interviewee what they'd wish for if given three wishes. Some of the answers are what you'd expect, but some of the answers from people experiencing homelessness truly are altruistic, as wishing that everyone was safe or healthy. I am... I'm really taken by this nonprofit, Invisible People, because all too often we, (laughs) we quotation marks, people who are lucky, who don't worry about where we're going to sleep tonight or where the next meal may come from or the next assault when that may happen, we um, don't know what it's like to be living on the edge. And the people who are homeless often are incredibly invisible to us. We look away when we see people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, we may get, somebody may come up and ask us for a dollar or, or for more than that. And we brush past them because, oh my God, we don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable. And yours truly, I have done that from time to time. There's no doubt about that I've done the brushing past. But there have been other times, and I will tell you this, where someone has come up and and said, hey, do you have, you know, a dollar for a meal? I'm hungry. And I've said, I'm not going to give you a buck, but let's um, go down to the subway down the street and I'll buy you a sandwich a soda and some chips, which in the end cost me way more than a buck. We as humans need to see people who are invisible. We do. We will never ever change the landscape until we see the people who are all around us, people attempting to survive the human condition. All right. Check out Invisible People. Please do. And learn about Mark Horvath and how he has given people voices. Okay. I hope you like that. If you like the show, visit my website at elliekrug.com. When we come back, we'll do an interview with Dr. Keith Mays from the University of Minnesota. Thanks. I want to hold the hand inside you. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota.com. 
we're back on AM 950 LE 2.0 Radio. So make sure you check out uh, Mark Horgrave and Horvath, excuse me, and Invisible People. Make sure you do that. Um, And so now, uh, listeners, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, this is the big interview. I always attempt to have an idealist on the show, and my goodness, today we have quite the idealist. Um, I want to introduce you to Dr. Keith Mays, that's M-A-Y-E-S, who is uh, a professor at the University of Minnesota. He has his Ph.D. from Princeton University, his undergraduate degree from City University in New York. And Dr. Mays is an expert on a number of things, including race in the news, black men, civil rights policies, black the black power movement, social and racial justice policy outcomes and movements. He is also the author of a number of books, and I'm going to give him a chance to say what those are. Dr. Mays, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? I'm doing great, Ellie. How are you doing? Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so very much for being on the show. Now, Dr. Mays, we need to explain to the audience how I know you and how we have befriended each other. Um, You and I, about two months ago, had the good fortune of being paired on a a speaking event um, to a bunch of lawyers, I mean over 400 attorneys. And um, you you, uh, were the first speaker, which was never, you know, I'm not bad, okay? But you are not the kind of guy anyone should ever follow, all right? <laughs> because you you spoke about um, uh, racial injustice. You spoke about disparities and, and um, structural racism in the Twin Cities area, particularly from a historical context. And I, when I saw you, I've just got to tell you, I said, oh, I've got to have this this wonderful human on my radio show because you are such an idealist. And so, um, so welcome to the show. Let's just kind of dive into it. You have this wonderful background about understanding American history as it has um, dealt with often woefully um, with uh, black people. And um, tell us about in the Twin Cities in particular, can you paint the picture for us about how the last hundred years – have gone. So we just entered 21. Take us back to the 20s of the 19th of the 20th century. What was it like if you were black or brown in the Twin Cities at that time period? Well, thank you, Ellie, for the very kind words. I appreciate that. Um, so I um, would say that's a really good question. And, and the, the easiest way to answer the question is to to say that the black experience in the Twin Cities mirrored the other experiences of black folks around the country in the 20th century. So I know there's a narrative out there about the upper Midwest and Minnesota in mm. particular being some kind of racial nirvana. And, and, and not to say that it wasn't different in the upper Midwest, uh, if you compare, uh, this particular geography with the South. And it, indeed, it was different. So not to um, oversimplify that, but the reason why I say that it mirrored the black experience and mirrored other experiences of black folks around the country was because Jim Crow and white racism was the same all over the place. That's to say that, yes, we can see some stark differences when it comes to 
racial disparities and the way in which black folks were treated in places like the Deep South that you didn't see elsewhere. But I always like it to look at four or five key areas. And when you look at education, housing, employment, and so many others, and we've added to that now to look at incarceration rates, home ownership, so we can actually uh, disaggregate and look at other areas. But in the in the three to four to five main areas, you see that black folks suffered similarly that in many ways you had a de jure educational system in the South, which meant you had total black exclusion from public schools. And you had de facto in the North, but de facto in the North, even in Minneapolis, resulted in black folks being excluded from most white schools from most white institutions and so i'm using i can use schools i can use any white institution as a metaphor to describe the entire experience of black folks so we're talking about if not complete exclusion uh like the south you have maybe one or two or three black folks in some white institutions whether it be the workplace whether it be schools whether it was in white neighborhoods so you had the same effect in the way in which white oppression shaped the lives of black people <laughs> in Minnesota to have the same outcomes that resulted in the same disparities and inequalities from the early 20th century coming all the way up to the mid the mid 20th century. And, and when I say mid, yes, the civil rights movement. In the country, as it did in the cities, cities being Minneapolis and St. Paul, will change the dynamic in the way that black people live their lives. So it opened up some white spaces in Minneapolis and St. Paul. But the structural aspects still remain the same. It just meant that you just had I just I, t- I used a metaphor sometimes in class of a turnstile. You just have more black and brown people able to come through the turnstile after the 1960s. They weren't, they didn't come through the turnstile in droves. Right. But they're, they were not tokenized in the same way. You didn't have one or two. So you just had a few more because the civil rights movement did the same thing for black folks in the Twin Cities as it did for black folks across the country. But when we, but when you, well, we'll get, um, well, let's just, when we get to current day, okay, when you say a few more, I mean, but still, uh, late uh, 20th century, uh, we still have black folks who maybe are coming through the turnstile, but they're not going to the same destination. Absolutely. As, uh, Absolutely. as white colored people. Um, but Keith, bef- uh, Dr. Mays, before we get to that, um, when you de- did your presentation a couple of months ago that I was able to witness, there was something that just really grabbed me about how Minneapolis in particular went out of its way to create white spaces where black and brown folk and then for that matter, you know, some other uh, groups that have been targeted like Jews, Jewish folks – we're not allowed. And, um, and you know what? We're going to come up on a break. So before, uh, before you get into that, I want you to kind of nibble on that because, you know, I'm, I'm starting to talk about Nokomis. Okay. And, um, what, uh, what you found. Um, 
And so what we're going to do is take the break because otherwise I'm not going to be able to – I don't want to cut you off when you start talking about this. By the way, when you start speaking and you've already started doing it a little bit, it is like a revival. I just love listening to you wind <laughs> up. I'm just telling you, OK, Dr. Mays? I am just love listen now. All right. So listeners, when we come back, we're going to speak with Dr. Keith Mays from the University of Minnesota. He's going to talk more about structural racism, historic and present. If you like what you hear on this show, visit my website at elliekrug.com. Email me at elliejkrug at gmail. I love hearing from listeners. And you can follow me on Twitter. The handle is at elliekrug. We'll be back in a second. Hi, Alex of Better Futures Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio on the lovely AM 950. Um, before we took the break, we were speaking with Dr. Keith Mays, who teaches at the University of Minnesota. He teaches African-American and African uh, studies at the U. He is highly in demand at the U because his students love him. And by the way, he also speaks privately, and, and we'll talk about that uh, b- before we end the show. Dr. Mays, before we took our break, I started down the road, and I didn't give you enough lead time, about talking about in particular – how Minneapolis started shaping neighborhoods so that they were exclusively for whites. And I had asked you to specifically talk about the area around Lake Nokomis. What did you – you did some research. And what what kind of a advertisement did you find for property around Lake Nokomis in the early 1920s? Well, let me just give a little plug here. Uh, the, the the major uh, findings for the research is coming from Mapping Prejudice at the University of Minnesota. We've done a wonderful job yep. going back almost virtually by hand to find properties that had these racial, racially restrictive covenants on them, going all the way back to the second decade of the 20th century. And Nokomis was the first area to put these on. And and I, as I, I say to to students uh, all the time, you know, you're driving around the streets of Minneapolis and you, you have no idea the kind of racial history that exists. You know, if you drive up and down Cedar Avenue, as we uh, are apt to do all the time, or Chicago or Portland, and you go into uh, southern Minneapolis, uh, and we, we have a kind of an idea about South Minneapolis as being a, a black and brown neighborhood, but that's not where all of the action took place. I mean, I have a New York centric 
uh, geography in in my mind. So when you say South Minneapolis, you're talking about you know south of of um, you know, of 50th Street, as it were. So right. you go down from yep. 50th all the way back to Highway 62, uh, as west as, you know, Lake Harriet, coming all the way back to Nokomis. That, air, that whole entire area had these racially restrictive covenants on it where blacks could not move into. Uh, they would not allow them to move into that area. And these homes are really, you know, still really nice today. Many of them are, are really modest and small. But that was a white enclave, and and it remained that way all the way through the 1960s. And, and arguably, you know, it's funny that area south of of uh, 50th Street is still uh, relatively white, whereas north of 50th is where you get the mix. Yep. You know, so from 50th up to even past Lake Street is what people reference as South Minneapolis, right? The kind of the diversity that's celebrated and that black folks, because they were shut out uh, of the area in Nokomis, they actually built that enclave uh, up and around Chicago uh, and and the, the, the now the famed 38th in Chicago because of the murder of George Floyd. That was the heart of the black neighborhood because they were they were segregated they were hemmed in to that area and and so of course they made they created a vibrant community uh in the early and mid 20th century uh, and then the sort of the outlying areas around the lakes uh remain uh, white and that's true also for like i said harriet and lake of the isles and calhoun i mean all these places become um white geographical spaces uh, to the exclusion of people of color. So, now, that's a story that's that's told uh, so many different times in other parts of the country. That's why I said that Minneapolis is not unique, right? In that, in that. Well, way. I know, but there, I mean, still there are many in many in Minneapolis, Twin Cities, Minnesota. Who believe you know we were different, um, but right. but I recall from your presentation. I mean, you literally showed an advertisement from 1921 or 22 advertising lots around Lake Nokomis, you know, Mm -hmm. and in that advertisement, it specifically said for whites only. Yes. And that, and that, you know, uh, people of other skin colors and, and Jewish people were excluded from this. I mean, this was like promoting it like, Hey, come here, white people, because it's only going to be white people. Now that is what blew me away is that it was so, I mean, you talk, uh, Dr. Mays, you talk about racial covenants, but many people are like, well, that was something, you know, that somebody that showed up on a, you know, a mortgage or a deed somewhere, but you know, they really didn't know about, but these, these were ads that like come yes. here. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. Dr. Mays. In, 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 in the newspapers, um, uh, being told um, uh, by neighborhood associations, so all the things that we that that keep us civically engaged. Yes, those were people. So it was. It's, it's hard for us to. To I mean, maybe it's not hard now because the Trump era is reminding us that you know mm-hmm. this stuff was said out in the open. You know, but it was, but it, it it went underground, so to speak, at least in, in sort of common everyday language. But now, right. back back then, you're absolutely right. It was in, in, in newspapers, it was in magazines, uh, it, it was in other media, but it was also in the ways in which you know ordinary white people talk to one another about keeping uh, their, their their neighborhoods uh, 
uh, racially preserved for, for themselves. So, and it was not it wasn't yeah. only, you know, like the southern part of, of Minneapolis. It was in the Como area. I mean, it was all over. So, you know, you do have these neighborhoods that are oh, sure. uh, these pockets. And sometimes they are whole, these these kind of large swaths of blocks. Yes. But you also have these pockets of, of, of whiteness that existed in, in the Como area and in, even in, on, the, on the St. Paul side so of the river as well. Let's bring this forward to today, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, to make the point, because I want to watch our time here. I've got a lot of a couple of other things I want to ask you. But to bring forward how structural racism works, the, the folks that are up uh, around Chicago and 38th who own homes, those homes, the black folks that own those homes, those homes have X value now, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But the homes down in Nokomis, all right, or around Como, they have X plus plus value. Mm-hmm. And this is where we start talking literally about how structural racism kept people from building wealth. Do I have all of that right? Absolutely. Because wealth is accumulated. Uh, and 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 wealth begets other kinds of wealth. So yeah. if you have um, property and a home, that may allow you to to get other property, or may allow you to acquire other assets. And certainly, those assets could be shifted; they could be passed down to your children. Uh, but they accrue in value, even if they lose value over the years. Uh, they are steadily accruing over the long term. And so you, you set up people back when you don't allow them that opportunity to, to own anything. And that's why I think uh, that in many ways, African-Americans are suffering today because they are they were locked out of the labor market. And if they were not completely locked out, they were at the bottom of the labor market. And then they didn't have the opportunity to acquire property. And so once you uh, keep a people in that position, They'll never be able to get out of their circumstance because, again, we always talk about the great American dream. Well, the great American dream is all, always tied to one's ability to acquire yep. and to acquire things that have value. Yep. Okay. Now, two other things. Okay. One is um, what makes you an idealist? Okay. You and I have to be, you know, we talked about this and, and, I mean, I know, I mean, you're from the East Coast. Give us, why are you so passionate about this? Because obviously you had a great education. You could have gone in a a number of different directions. Why is this your passion? It's a very good question, Ellie. I think that for me, looking at the history of black folks is to study the history of struggle. And it's that struggle that allows black folks to see a brighter day. Now, that progress is always small and short and slow, but it's progress nonetheless. And again, I always tell students that that any oppressed people, not even just a racially oppressed people, politicians don't roll out of bed to give them anything. They had to fight for them. And so what gives me, what keeps me being an idealist is that as long as we continue to fight and we continue to stand up to injustice and we continue to demand better housing and 
and better education and 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 our proper place in a society. And, and last year, or I'll say last, well, I was going to say last year being 2019. Now we're in 2021. But 20, 2019 was the 400th year yep. uh, anniversary of black folks being in the country. Yep. That's 400 years of a people being here. That means that most black people have been here longer than most white people. So they got to continue to demand their place, their rightful place. So what keeps me an idealist is the fact that the history of black America is the history of protest and struggle. And as long as black folks are continuing to willing to do that, I think that gives me hope. The day we stop doing that is the day I lose all hope because I know that hope, uh, that any hope that springs eternal any hope that was able to galvanize and to procure what little crumbs black folks have is it was because through the blood, sweat, and tears of black folks deciding that they were would resist and, and demand more. But Ellie, I gotta tell you that oftentimes, as much as I am an idealist, I'm a cynic. And I could get very cynical at times and thinking that, man, this 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 is progress is moving so slow. Yeah. You know, is it worth it all? And and then I, you know, I go to bed and, and get up the next day and, and I return to being an idealist. So I go back and forth. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I well, say, I, I go back I, you know, forth. I think that what you're telling me is you're human. Um, yes. OK, two other things. One is uh, uh, you've got a book out. Uh, can you tell us about that? And then you have another one coming out. So I have a, a book I've written on civil rights, black power, Kwanzaa, holiday rituals. But I sort of turn my attention to educational history. I've been doing a lot of work in the public schools, developing ethnic studies programs. And I have a book out on the history of special education. And the book is called Unteachables. It's not out yet. Uh, will be won't be out actually until next year. So it'll be in production for one year. Okay. But I'm on, I'm at the tail end of of completing it and submitting it to the publisher, and it will be out. And it's on the history of the overrepresentation of Black students in special education, uh, particularly uh, EBD, emotional behavior disorder. Yep. So kind of a civil rights and disability rights movement history. Uh, I think that's uh, a great, but. What a wonderful topic. Okay. Second thing, um, you, you speak publicly. You go out. You don't just teach at the U. Not that that's not really important, but you go out and you speak. You also consult. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, Dr. Mays, how can they do that? I'll just go to my website. Actually, just email me at Mays, M-A-Y-E-S, at U-M-N dot E-D-U, or go to my website, drkeithamays.com. Okay. And they can find me there. All right. And it's spelled M-A-Y-E-S. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Dr. Mays, you know, listen, I mean, last time you and I talked on the phone, we looked up, it was, I think we'd been speaking for an hour and 15 minutes. We're like, oh my gosh, it went so quickly. <laughs> you and I are on the same wavelength. And I, I, yes, I say that I'm honored. I mean, that I could even be close to your wavelength. And um, I appreciate that. You know, I... Stay um, stay in touch, my friend, okay? I sure will. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Continue, please, to do it. And when if, if you wake up one morning a cynic, will you make sure <laughs> you contact me, okay? You reach out, all right? I sure will. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk you off the line. 
I'll talk you off, yes, the, off the ledge, all right? Yeah, I need, I'm going to need that in 2021, for sure. <laughs> okay, all <laughs> right. It's been a great. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being talk on the you, show. Sir. All right, listeners. Okay. So we've been speaking with Dr. Keith Mays um, from the University of Minnesota. Check him out at mays at umn.edu. That is his uh, email. And um, you can just Google him, Keith Mays, and you'll get his uh, bio from the U. All right, when we come back, we'll be doing my C block where I'll talk about uh, my work as an idealist. And uh, we'll be back in a second. Thanks. And then I think about my fear of motion. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Okay, Dr. Keith Mays, if you ever get the chance to hear him speak, take that chance. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. All right, we're now in my C-block where I talk about my work as an idealist, or sometimes I talk about how the world has interacted with me as a transgender person. This week, I've got two things. First, um, as my regular listeners um, heard from my last show in December, I recently uh, bought a home in rural Carver County. It's on the Victoria-Chaska County line, on the, you know, the line between those two towns. Carver County is a red county. I think many of you know that. Um, it went for President Trump um, in November by in double digits above uh, what it voted for Joe Biden. And um, I had – had and continue still to some extent wonder how I, a transgender person who does not pass for female entirely because of my voice, how I would be received. And I've had the house only a week um, and a half. And, 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 you know, I mean, the weather's horrible. I have not met any of my neighbors on the street. So I, I don't know what the neighborhood is like yet. But I belong to next door. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's an online app uh, that lets you know you create, you communicate with your your community virtually. Okay, it allows you to you know put things on there if you're trying to sell something or you're looking to buy something. Or um, I was with Nextdoor when I lived in downtown Minneapolis. We heard about uh, crime, unfortunately, quite a bit through Nextdoor, and so I got on the Nextdoor um, chapter um, out where I live. 
And uh, on the day I moved in, I put a shout out. I did it. It was a shout out, you know, hey, um, I'm new to Victoria, moved from downtown Minneapolis. And people have your name. So you can't be on next door anonymous and you can't have pseudonyms because they want to know where your address is to sign up for next door. And I said, hey, I'm new, um, just moved in, I'm looking forward to making new friends. I mean, essentially, that was all that it was. And do you know? That like within two days, I had 30 different people reply, you know, welcome, welcome to the, you know, the far western burbs. Ellie, you will love it out here. You know, you know, I had some, one person tell me about a church. Come to our church. I had some other people. And interestingly, um, because I, you know, I have this radio show. I speak a great deal. But still, I have no idea about my impact or my imprint. I had four out of those 30 people said, hey, Ellie, I've heard you speak before. Did you speak at X place or did you speak at Y place? I was in the audience. Are you that Ellie Krug? And I'm like, yeah, it was really great to see. But on top of that, I had one person who said that they had read my book, by the way. Let me plug plug the book. It's Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change available on Amazon, Kindle, or Nook. This person had read my book, and I'm like, oh, and she's like, I really liked it. And then I had one more person who said, Ellie, I just want you to know my mother's name was Ellie Krug. <laughs> I'm like, well, I haven't met an Ellie Krug before that. Well, I do know about one Ellie Krug out there, but she's a 22-year-old Victoria's Secret model, and that would not be me. Wow. Uh, I've got to tell you, just the reaction on Next Door, it was not what I expected. It was so positive to me, it greatly lessened my apprehension. And if there are any Next Door uh, listeners who have reached out to me who are hearing this right now, I just want you to know, thank you. Thanks for being so welcoming to me on Next Door. I just I you touched my heart. You really did. So, yeah. Okay. That was the first thing I wanted to share. And and you're hearing an idealist saying in essence right there with that piece, humans are good. We are. We are. Given a chance, given a platform on how to exercise empathetic hearts, we show up next door as one of those platforms. Second thing I wanted to do is to tell you I've moved. I'm moving in the process of moving, and I still have the condo downtown. I'm trying to shuffle things from there to the new house, and I'm going through boxes of papers and things and throwing away much. And one of the bins, so it's not only boxes, it's bins. One of the bins of stuff I went through had my college things in it. And included um, in that was my 1978 application to Cornell University Law School. Um, my regular listeners know, and if you're new, you're going to hear this right now. I am a former trial lawyer for almost 30 years, a civil trial lawyer with more than 100 trials to my credit. I did not get into Cornell. Um, I did get into Boston College Law School. But uh, in my bin, I had my application to Cornell. I had made a copy of it. And, and, and the application, question 24, the last question in the application was, the admissions committee invites you to submit a personal statement of your interests in the legal profession, and you may include anything that might be helpful to us in acting on your application. And here is what I wrote in part, quote, my interest in studying law is the result of personal beliefs, experiences, and goals. In regard to my beliefs, I am an individual who attempts to understand such concepts as social equity, social equality, justice, and fairness. 
These concepts are important to me in that I view them as fundamental elements in the structure of one's life and one's society. It is unfortunate, however, that much of society seems to define social equality and its counterparts as only vague and unreachable ideals. I have often been told that, in light of human nature, the goal of achieving, quote, true, unquote, equality and justice is nothing more than wishful thinking. It is dangerous and morally wrong, in my opinion, to adopt such a position as valid. To do so condemns society to accepting its current conditions and thus erases any chance of inching closer to perfecting the ideals of social equality, justice, and fairness. My inspiration for studying law rests with the goal of transforming these ideals into solid realities. I seek to have social equality become a reality not just for one group or minority, but for all people, all cultures, and all socioeconomic classes. My experience has shown that progress is possible with hard work and determination. Of course, what I speak of is a lifetime process. Unquote. Listeners, if you've been listening to this show for any period of time, you will know the words that I just re- read to you that were from 1979, excuse me, 78, are words that I have used on this show regularly. And when I read that, when I went back through the bin and I saw those words for the very first time in more than 40 years, I've got to say to you, I said, wow, this is the ark. I have been consistent for more than 40 years in wanting to change the world. Ha, pretty cool if you ask me. Okay, that's the end of our show. You've been listening to me, Ellie Krug. If you like what you hear, tell others about the show, please. Um, I need to thank our sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. I need to thank my producer, Brett Johnson, who is always there for me, always does great things to make this show work because I am not (laughs) all that organized. And you, my listeners, I hope I have some new ones. I hope that you stick around. I'll be on tomorrow as well from 1 to 2 on Sundays. So you've got me double barrel on the weekends. Until then, go out and try and do good in the world. Bye.